Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Well, she invited me to come to the, one of the 4Fs meeting, and I didn't want to go because I was too shy to meet people. So finally, I told her I would come. So I went, and I sort of sat in the back corner down in the fellowship hall, and I thought, I will get this over with, and I'll leave. I don't have to talk to too many people. It'll be fun just to watch everybody. So when I went... She always began her, her fellowship meetings with the pledge to the flag. And on that occasion, when I, I went in, she couldn't find the American flag. So she looked out at everybody, and I happened to have on an outfit similar to what I have on. I had red, white, and blue. She came back there, and she said, Linda, I want you to come up front and be the flag. And I said, What? She said, come up front and be the flag. I said, I can't do that. She said, yes, you can. She said, you're representing the freedom that God has given America. She said, come on, I'll stand with you. So I went up front. Everybody pledged allegiance to me as the flag. But I am so grateful that people in this church saw potential enough in me to draw me out of the shadows and make me get out of my comfort zone so that now it helps me to stand here today. Back then, the Lord knew what I needed. So he put in her, call her out. Call her out. Get her out of her comfortable zone because I'm going to use her. So today our lesson, we're going to start our lesson on these five weeks on Gideon. Your weakness and God's strength. <laughs> we won't forget you, Sam. <laughs> we'll open in prayer and take our offering. Father, we just thank you for this 4th of July weekend, Lord. And the freedom that we have in America to serve you. And Lord, the darkness is getting so bad around us. At times, we wonder how much longer we're going to have this freedom. But, Lord, Lord, I'm praying that in the midst of this darkness, you will call forth your people to get out of their weaknesses and start drawing on your strength, Lord, to proclaim the freedom that we have in you, Lord. And we just pray that you will lead us this Fourth of July weekend. May this weekend we realize how much we need you, Father how much we need your Holy Spirit in us. And I pray as the fireworks go off that the fire begins to burn in our life, Lord. And the Holy Spirit starts burning in our life, calling us forth to work for you. Father, just bless this offering right now for the furtherance of your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this week... My uh, lesson, I came across this book by Priscilla Shire, and it's Gideon. So I'm going to be using this and a little bit of my study as I'm 
looking over the, her lessons, and we're going to study about Gideon and your weakness and God's strength. So before we start, we're going to lay a little foundation about what is going on during the time of Gideon and why they are where they are. So as I was studying this and thinking about the 4th of July weekend, it, it uh, amazed me how much similar America and Israel are. Israel was chosen by God. America chose God. God is with Israel. God is with America. That's why he has never turned his back on America, because we chose him. So Israel was established and founded upon God, and it was established on the principles and the laws, and the God, God required they walk in obedience to him. America chose God as they established a new nation in this promised land where they were free to worship God without persecution. The colonists came to America in the 16th and 17th centuries, seeking economic opportunity and the freedom to practice their religion without the fear of the government. In July of 1776, the Declaration of Independence was established. And I wrote down what it said. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just like Israel, America has fallen away from her first love and has gone after other gods. So the story of Gideon begins in Judges, and it's in chapter 6 through 8. And Gideon's story is much bigger than Gideon. And I know we've all read the story of Gideon. Like everything else in the Bible, this story is about God and his people. It tells of his love for them, his enduring and boundless mercy toward them, and his strength to operate even in spite of them, and even in spite of their weakness. So Gideon's story not only is about Gideon and the Israelites, that story is about us. Because everything they went through is the very same thing we go through as people. So before we can study the story of Gideon, we must identify and learn from his, God's people, the people of Israel. We're going to begin with Judges 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, had sown the Midianites would come up. Also the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming as numerous as locusts. 
both they and their camels were without number. They would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out. So here we have the Israelites being attacked by the Midianites, the Amalekites. Every time they would get their land planted, their crops planted, here came the Midianites to destroy it, killing their cattle, killing their camels, killing their donkeys and sheep. So when the story of uh, Gideon begins in Judges 6, Israel's brutal 400 years of slavery is far in the past. Their years of wandering in the desert are far in the past. Joshua's military conquest from a previous century has nestled them right in the middle of the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. They are right where the Lord intended them to be. They're positioned for God's blessing. But Israel's experience in Gideon's day reveals a stunning reality. We can spoil paradise and ruin God's abundant blessing. And the quickest and most surefire way to do this is forget the one who gave us the blessing in the first place. Gideon and his people are suffering from a lapse of memory. They have become enthralled in the promised land and have disregarded the promise giver. They have disobeyed God's command given to them before they settled in the land. The Israelites made their homes in the dens, in the caves, in the strongholds of the mountains, hiding away from their enemy. On the mountain, they didn't have to challenge the Midianites. They were hiding away from them. They only called out to God when they were in trouble. Doesn't that sound familiar? (laughs) So the Israelites failed to remember the promises that God gave them before they ever stepped foot into the promised land. Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 2. The Lord says, when the, uh, Moses, this is what Moses was telling the people, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out all many nations before you, the Hittites, Gargashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, the seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord God delivers them over to you, You shall conquer the land, utterly destroy them, and you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. I want you to notice there, the Lord said seven nations greater and mightier than you. The Lord knew who they were, and what he tell them, you're going to destroy them. So he gave them that command before they ever entered so it can be difficult when he, I've heard of people say, that how can God destroy, you know, these seven nations? He's telling them to annihilate them. But God had given those seven nations grace, and he had given them many, many years to turn their hearts towards him, and they did not. So it can be difficult to understand the sense of the Lord commanding them to annihilate an entire people group. But God had given them justice for many years. 
because of their rebellion, divine judgment. It was time for divine judgment to happen. One reason the Israelites disobeyed God and did not destroy the nations before them, Canaan was known as a nation that had iron chariots. They had developed this plan on how to make iron, and they had these iron chariots, and the Israelites were afraid of them. And that's why they stayed in the mountains in the hills, because these iron chariots were not effective in the hill countries. So they stayed in the hills where they didn't have to face the Midianites. With no sophisticated weaponry to match the opposing nations, Israel fared in the fighting by infantry on foot, especially in the hill countries. Yet the Lord had called them to claim every portion of the land before them, even the flat land. Not just the mountain areas where victory would come more easily. But don't we do the same? When we're up on the mountaintop and everything's good and we're praising God, but we know he's calling us to go back down in the valley to, to bring out those that are hurting and are lost, it's hard. It's hard to come out of our comfort zones. It's hard to come out of the area where we're feeling blessed. But God's saying, you need to go back. You need to go back down into the valley because I'm going to use you there. But we'd rather stay in the mountain. We'd rather stay on the mountain. That's what the Israelites were doing. Israel was making decisions based on their limited supplies instead on the boundless resources of their God. When the Lord had commanded their enemy's destruction, he had already taken into account that they had iron chariots. He had already equipped and planned them to get the victory. Regardless of their enemy's strategies of warfare, God knew that no weapon could stand against the power of their heavenly God. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So, if Jesus Christ lives within you, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But how do we get to the point <clears throat> where we believe that? We have to believe that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And greater is he that is in within me than he is in the world. And then we have to take our position. And we have to speak to that thing that's coming against us. And we have to say in Jesus' name, you have no authority. You have no power in my house, in my children's life, in my work life, in my personal life, in my health. And in Jesus' name, I command you to go. You take your hordes of demons. You take your hordes of hell and you leave my body you leave my house you leave my children and he has to flee because the word says that if we do that it has to flee but in order for it to flee I have to be right here I have to be right in my heart I have to be living for God I cannot be commanding that and sin be in my life because God says I have to be holy and I have to be pure 
This morning, Brandon gave a wonderful message. I hope he does it in the second service. But he talked about that, that one leg is purity and the other leg is power. And that's what we do. We call upon that holy power of God that is in us. But the Israelites forgot that. All those stories they heard, their ancestors, Abraham, and then the ancestor walking through the Red Sea, and all the miracles, they forgot it. You know, and how, you know, we think, how in the world could they forget it? But we do the same thing. We do the very same thing. It's so easy to do. If only Israel had believed and lived according to what God had commanded. If only you and I would do the same. What iron chariots of fear keep you from moving forward in complete victory? Psalms 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Settling too soon. The Israelites thought that having access to some of the promised land was better than having to fight for all of it. So they complacently settled in the mountains, forgetting God's word. And you know what? The thing is, they had every right to the flatland because God had already given it to them. It was already theirs. They had already won the victory because he spoke it to them before they ever stepped foot into that vow, into the promised land. So they weren't able to enjoy it because they were looking at their own weakness. The Lord spoke this to the Israelites before they entered the Canaan promised land, Deuteronomy 4.1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. He already gave it to them. He already gave it to them. So they chose comfort instead of commitment to the one who had rescued and sustained them. The Lord had promised them total victory if they would obey and walk in his ways. I have time. In the book, she has a, a principle that she calls the deliverance principle. And I want to read you a little bit of it. And I've talked about this before. It's about the covenant. She says, in the ancient Near East, people sealed relationships between individuals or nations by covenant. When a larger, powerful nation and a smaller, weaker one made a covenant, the entities operated like, a, like father and son or master and servant. Each had a distinct role to perform. The more powerful kingdom, called the suzerain, would adopt the smaller one, the vassal. In exchange for the vassal's allegiance, the suzerain would provide military protection, financial provision in times of need. The suzerain had authority over the vassal. It might allow the vassal to maintain its own government and traditions, but it maintained legal ownership of the vassal's land and agricultural harvest. 
the vassal was expected to operate in submission to the suzerain. In addition to giving percentage of its annual production, the vassal was expected to be completely loyal. A vassal could only have one suzerain. Making a covenant with another suzerain was high treason and would incur in horrendous consequences. The vassal's loyalty was pledged to the suzerain and could not be shared with another. The Bible translates this kind of loyalty using the Hebrew word hesed. It means love, faithfulness, or covenantial faithfulness. A vassal's faithfulness was described as loved and expressed to its suzerain. Rebellion was to hate the suzerain. When Yahweh made Israel's nation, Israel a nation through Abraham, he used a means people in that era would understand. He cut a covenant. Yahweh became their suzerain, offering them his unfailing protection, his ongoing provision in exchange for their love. They were to have no other suzerains or no other gods. God demanded that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their strength. Not a passive emotion, but an active condition of their covenant. They were to submit to him in loyalty. They had established a covenant with their Yahweh. In Gideon's story, Yahweh reminds us his that I'm sorry, Yahweh reminds his vassal of their agreement. He had delivered them from G, from Egypt. He provided them with his protection and his provision. Israel had failed to to fulfill their part of the bargain. They turned to idols and cut covenant with foreign gods splitting their allegiance from the one true God who had watched over them. They had committed divine treason against their faithful suzerain. Treason demanded dire consequences for a vassal, including the destruction of their family and their land and even their own life. Yahweh breaks this pattern, and he extends mercy to Israel despite of their failure to remain committed to him. In his mercy, he um, reached out to love them. I thought that was a beauty, beautiful way to understand in that time the covenant between the suzerain and the vassal. So God made a covenant through Abraham. Okay, it says, the Lord was suffering. He was offering Israel, the vassal, his unfailing love, his protection, his provision. In exchange, all he asked for them was to obey him and love him. Love him. So they partially obeyed him. How many of you know that partial obedience is a sin? You're still walking in sin. So Israel was partially obeying their heavenly, their God, their Yahweh. Our short-sightedness often makes partial obedience to appear appear safe. And the most safest, the most choice mode that we make. Because when we choose to walk in partial obedience, we feel like we're in comfort. But often 
walking in partial obedience leads to future hardships, eventually making our lives more difficult than it needs to be. So the Israelites are partially in paradise, hiding in these mountains in caves, not going down into the flat land and claiming it how the way the Lord wanted them to. One of the most prominent effects of Israel's refusal to fully obey was in its continuing spiritual decline. Because of the idolatrous influence of their neighbors, Israel found it increasingly difficult to commit to worshiping their Lord. Spiritually, they slipped into the patterns of their neighbors, specifically Baal worship. Militarily, they were constantly being threatened by the surrounding enemies. And between the moral decay and the military danger, danger, God's people were beginning to weaken spiritually and physically. Had Israel destroyed Canaan the way God had told them to before they went, went into the, ever went into the land, just think what difference that would have made. They would have been living in that promised land. It was theirs. All the surrounding enemies around the other, you know, the other neighboring counties, they would have been afraid to go against them because they would have seen what their God did for them. So when God's Spirit asks us to eliminate something from our lives, we shouldn't play around. God sees our future. He knows what our future holds. He knew what Israel's future held. He knew what was going to come their way. And because of their disobedience, their lives were spiritually and physically uh, impaired. And they were not able to walk with God. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And that's what they failed to remember. God had given them the strength because he loved them. The Israelites had compromised their ability to full enjoy, I'm sorry, to fully enjoy the promises of God and to remain strong under his protection and provision. The negative effect of their half-hearted obedience was not new to, gen, to their generation. This pattern of disobedience had been in their parents' generation, their grandparents' generation. You know, and it, it had been all the way to the beginning. So they were reaching out to their pagan neighbors, and instead of conquering them, the pagan neighbors were beginning to conquer them. Their lifestyles were beginning to become part of Israel's lifestyles. Is there a problem that you're contending with today that either is a difficulty that you caused or someone else caused against you? Perhaps it's a generational curse. I was thinking about this. Sometimes the choices of our ancestors will bring generational curses against us like alcoholism, and in my family it was fear. And when I realized fear was starting to become part of my life, I had to ask God to uh, relieve, you know, to take that away and deliver that from me. I still struggle with that today. But every time it comes, I have to stop and realize this. This is fake. This is, God is bigger than this fear. 
The enemy's just trying to take my weaknesses and to stop the strength of God from coming in me. So you need to realize those things in your life that are your weaknesses, and you need to stop them right where they are. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So... um, I was thinking about Luke 10, 19 through 20. This is when Jesus sent out the 70. And they came back and they said, Behold, I give, this is what Jesus says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We could stop right there, but there's something else the Lord said after that, that we, this is where all of our power comes from. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. Because my name is written in heaven, I can go forth and trample upon the serpents and the scorpions and command things that are wicked to come out and to be, you know, released and, and come out of a person. But it's because my name is written in heaven. If my name is not written in heaven, I have no authority. What, what does it talk about in the Bible, the uh, Two men that tried to do that, and the demons came out, and they jumped on them. But my name's written in heaven. Yeah, Sceva. So, because our names are written in heaven, we need to rejoice that I know him. And as I rejoice that I know him, his power and authority starts getting stronger in me. My weaknesses start getting less. And the power of the Lord starts coming up forth from me in more boldness and more confidence. The enemy the Israelites were facing in the story of Gideon is the Midianites. The Midianites were a fierce nomadic tribe who made their home anywhere their opponents, their enemies were. They would go in and plunder and rob and subdue. And the Midianites were distant relatives of the Hebrews. I want y'all to listen to this. The nation of Israel descended from Isaac. The Midianites descended from Isaac's half-brother. Abraham, when Sarah died, married a woman named Keturah. She bore him a son. His name was Midian. That's where the Midianites came from. But because Midian was not a nation, the Midianites is not a nation that chose God. They chose foreign gods. They turned their back. This Midian knew who God was. He had this same father that Abraham did. I'm sure Abraham talked to him about God, about the love of God and the power of God. But Midian chose to turn his back on God and started serving the foreign gods. I was doing this study of the Midianites and and how they sort of interwove with the Israelites. So Keturah bore Abraham a son. His name was Midian. Remember the story of Joseph? He was sold to the Midianite travelers. Those travelers took him to Egypt. 
and uh, to Potiphar, sold him to Potiphar. Then Moses married a girl named Zipporah. Zipporah, uh, Moses tended Zipporah's father's flock, and her father was Jethro, a Midianite priest. A portion of the Midianite tribe traveled from Egypt with Moses toward the promised land. And then in Numbers 31, the Israelites make war against the Midianites. And it's because in the midst of all that, they were intertwined. And the foreign gods were beginning to invade the Israelites. And God called them to destroy that nation that was causing the wickedness and the evil within their camps, within their lives, within their children. And he said, destroy them. Because he had given them plenty of chances. He was merciful to them, and they did not turn towards him. So the pattern of half-hearted obedience when dealing with the enemies seems to be breaded in the Hebrew cycle. What a sobering thought to, to consider. I want y'all to listen to this. Yesterday's partial obedience creates staggering consequences in today's experiences. So what you did yesterday partially in obedience, tomorrow it's going to start revealing itself. And you're going to start walking in struggles and hardships. That's why many times we think, Lord, I've been going around this mountain so many times. When am I going to be free? We need to stop. Take a, a mental result of, of our body, what we've been doing, what we've been walking in, and ask ourselves, am I pleasing God? What is it in my life that is preventing me from walking in the victory of the Lord and the strength of the Lord? So that's what the Israelites failed to do. So he asked them to completely annihilate the Midianites. So whatever is in your life that is preventing you from walking in the strength of the Lord, you need to completely annihilate it. And you cannot do that except with the Lord. Israel's trouble with the Midianites began many generations earlier, but now they had received a summons to start fresh and build a new legacy. It was a brand new day. And God's grace was on a brand new mission. No matter their history, the Israelites had a God who ra would raise an individual to make a brand new day. And he was calling forth Gideon. Um, I was looking at redemption and how the story of redemption takes place. The first thing that starts, the people reject God. First, they have to reject God for the redemption to, to come about. After they reject God, what happens to their lives? Their lives start to decline. They can get farther and farther away from God. And then God, in his amazing, merciful love, he allowed, he steps back. He watches over them, but they chose to walk in their wickedness. And he steps back, and his heart is breaking. And I'm sure he has cried over Linda O'Brien many, many times at the choices I've made. 
But he steps back, and he's still loving me. He's still watching over me. And then he sends somebody or something into my life to restore me back to him. It might be the love of a friend. It might be the powerful sermon that comes from the pulpit. It might be in the quiet times that I spend with him. But finally, I'm restored with him. But we have to remember that God's redemption starts with us. We have to realize what state we are in. The Holy Spirit, one thing that we have that Gideon did not have, Gideon was not empowered by the Holy Spirit all the time because Jesus had not died. He was walking by faith and obedience to a God that had chose the nation of Israel. So he was walking in faith by what he had heard. I'm walking in faith by what is inside of me because Jesus Christ died on the cross as me. He took my sin. When he got up on that cross, he died. Linda O'Brien died. I read something the other day, and this is so amazing. This... uh, Preacher said that when he said, I thirst, he said, folks, when he said, I thirst on the cross, it was more than he was thirsty. He was saying, I thirst for Amy. I thirst for Brent. I thirst for them, so I am going to be on this cross for them. I thirst for their love. I thirst for their lives to be in me. I thirst for them, so Father God, I take their place. Isn't that amazing? He thirsted for us because he loved us so much. I'm going to have to quit. So let me close up here. We've established that the Israelites have been walking in wickedness. And here they are. The Midianites are still coming after them. So God, in his love, Judges 2, verses 16 through 17. Nevertheless, the Lord raised judges who would deliver them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to the judges But they played the harlot with other gods. They bowed down to them. They turned quickly from their father's walk. I'm sorry. They turned quickly from how their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. So the book of Judges, we find uh, the judges. There were Deborah, Ehud, Gideon, and Samson. So we're going to, next week, we're going to continue with the study of Gideon. And these prophets, I mean, these judges were not perfect. They made many, many mistakes. But God loved them. And he used them in spite of their weaknesses. And that's what I pray all the time. Lord, I'm going to keep on failing you because I am a human walking in a fleshly body. But in the midst of my struggles, I know that you're going to use me. I know that you're going to use C-O-L-G. And it's because we have to keep our eyes on him. We have to keep our eyes on him. We have to recognize that we are weak, but he is strong. Okay, let me see if I've covered everything. We'll just close here because uh, next week we can pick up and we're going to start talking about the commission of Gideon. And boy, I can relate to the story of Gideon. (laughs) I think we all can.
Okay, let's close. Father, we just thank you that in the midst of our weaknesses, Lord, you are strong. Thank you for loving us enough that you love us in spite of our weaknesses. And, Lord, you understand them. And that's what's so amazing to me, Lord. You know our weaknesses, but you know what is what you have called within us. And you love us enough, Lord, to keep on being patient, waiting until whatever you want to develop within us is being developed. So, Lord, I just pray that right now, today, Lord, as we celebrate the 4th of July, that your fire and your anointing and your power will fall in our midst, Father. That you will change not only C-O-L-G, Lord, but you will change every person that sets foot in that door today. That your Holy Spirit will reveal their weaknesses and reveal that you love them, Lord, in spite of those weaknesses and that you can use them, that you love them and you want them as your own. And, Lord, I just pray that you will be with us today and throughout this week. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.